Hello beautiful people, thank you so much as always for clicking on this podcast and this particular episode of Joe Blogs About Films. Whether you're a first time listener or long time listener, all the same, as I state regularly, it is super appreciated to have you here and thank you for your constant, constant support. About a week or so ago I reviewed or revisited John Wick, the first one obviously released in 2014, ahead of Chapter 4's release due at the end of March. Cannot Cannot wait for it. It's up there. It's probably my most anticipated film of 2023. And seeing that it's getting absolutely fantastic reviews all across the board, it's just any excuse to revisit, rewatch, just marathon away with one, two, and three beforehand. And here we are on the podcast reviewing and revisiting each chapter in the Wickverse. And today we're going to be talking about John Wick chapter two from 2017, directed once again by Chad Stahelski, this time without David Leach along for the ride, and written again by Derek Kolstad. John Wick Chapter 2 goes in bigger and bloodier than the first, with some pleasant, oh, pleasant viewing in the process. I really like this sequel. Like I think that with each one, as, as the Wick films go on, I do feel like, yes, they get bigger and bigger, and the sequels, they just don't fall short of anything, really. I'm always going to go back to the original and be like, yep, yeah, that's my favourite, because... Because it is. It's the original, isn't it? The first is always the best. And just that simple premise, like I said last time round, didn't really dive into the world like the chapter two and threes do. But it was so, so good, as I say. As, as action films go, as Keanu Reeves absolutely nailing this character, I absolutely love John Wick 1, and I, I equally love John Wick chapter 2. And, and obviously we're going to get to chapter 3. But sticking like I do with these episodes and these revisits, sorry, I'm just going to be focusing on this film, not going to try and branch off too much of what happens in chapter 3. But like I stated, as sequels go, this one is really, really great. The sequel had a $40 million budget, and it grossed $171.5 million, earning twice as much as John Wick 1. And you can obviously probably see why the third wasn't too long announced afterwards. This film also reunited Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne on screen together for the first time since The Matrix 3. Is that Revolutions? Either way, still fantastic to see these two great staples in the pop culture world together again. Apparently Keanu actually meets up with Fishburne a few times a year, and one of those meetings, the uh, the elder actor mentioned his love for John Wick and they got a script for the sequel for him shortly thereafter, and the actor replied to him on the same day, saying to Keanu, he just put, I'm in, fish. Love it. And seeing those two together on screen, honestly, was absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Like, I love just having having him part of it. Chapter 2 just kind of blows the door open into this whole world, really, like, in depth, you know, the, the underground, the overground, if you want to say, but just everything tying with the high table and the continental, you know, like, it's so, so good to explore it all, added lots of neon as well, which is just a nice little bonus. What's interesting about the sequel as well is that there's multiple references to Greek and Roman law within the film. Ruby Rose's character, for example, Ares, great as well, sorry, to have Ruby Rose part of this. I thought her character was really strong, but obviously Ares is the Greek god of war. Uh, Common's character, Cassian, another fantastic character in this film, could be a reference to John Cassian, a Roman saint, or Cassius Dio, a Roman statesman or historian. I probably butchered all of those pronunciations there, but even John Wick's late wife, Helen, could be a reference to Helen of Troy, but my favourite kind of link to this Greek and Roman law is Lance Reddick's character's name, Sharon. That's a reference to the ferryman who shepherds souls to the underworld in Greek mythology, which works and ties very nicely with him being the receptionist at the Continental. Absolutely excellent detail there within the film. And the thing is, there'll be some bigger, way bigger Wick fans out there as well that'll know plenty more than I do. I'm just giving you my thoughts on it. And as I usually do with revisits, of course, we'll be diving into spoilers, but I will be like fleeting from here to there. So just keep up if you can. And of course, I'd love to know your thoughts as well on John Wick, all the John Wicks, but in particular, Chapter 2. Now, before we do dive into it, of course, the podcast 
is available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as to RSS.com. Jump onto Facebook and the Instagram and all that and search Joe Blogs About Films. Give us a like and a follow on there. Wherever you're streaming it from, if you hit notification, you'll be notified when new episodes are uploaded. Leave us a review as well, because that too would be lovely. So here we go, chapter two. Legendary hitman John Wick travels to Europe to take on a contract against his will, triggering a chain of events that puts him firmly in the sights of the world's greatest assassins. Now, what I I love about the John Wick films is that they pretty much start straight after one another. Like It does almost feel an extension at the start of of John Wick chapter one. film begins less than a week, I think it is, of John Wick. And though I mentioned on the last pod that I felt like it did wrap up Wick's story, the first one, like this opening sequence, essentially, as I say, closes that saga once he gets his car back and drives away offering peace to Tarsov. But the film starts with a beautiful sequence of just tracking across this well and gorgeously lit city like the neon oh my word we get some great wide shots as well and like overhead shots just tracking and just showcasing the world like the open world and the wider world that wick 2 delivers and explores the colors here are absolutely gorgeous as i keep mentioning you know this this open this this first shot it absolutely just blows my mind and it, it follows on very nicely from the first film with that colour seeping back into John's life now that he's back doing what he does best, you know? The colour eventually does go back every now and then to that washed out blue tinge like when he returns home, like both times he returns home, it comes back to that like kind of washed out blue that's like, you know, it's bro- he's broken and bruised like his car and he's back to his normal life outside of that carnage. What I absolutely love as well, speaking of colour and such, one of my favourite frames in the film is John re-entering his home. And on the left, he has glass windows that the rain's pouring on, giving that blue colour, representing his loss of his wife. And then on the right side of him, it's a red wall, fully painted red wall, representing like his past life and how he's essentially leading a double life now. Or at least he's got conflicting emotions. You know, he's like kind of dipped himself back into that old self in addition when we hear john's car's engine roaring and screeching as he's chasing down the motorcyclist at the start i absolutely love the use of the projector display in that motorcyclist being knocked off his car and then the camera pans down just to see that car like kind of that that bike sorry scraping down the street as the cyclist manically tries to get back on the uh, on the bike and then and then there's obviously that great car chase sequence that that unfolds it's fantastic and it's topped off so nicely when uh, when wick pulls up and uh, gets out and we just follow his feet while it's like kind of like cowboy-esque motifs playing over but the difference that i love from chapter two to chapter one is that the film is straight into top top action sequences this whole john getting his car back it's just absolutely i was i remember in the cinema just grinning ear to ear you know from from the get-go it was just like boof here we go. Here's chapter two. Let's let's get on it. It was absolutely just incredible viewing, um, and and again similar to the first, like we have Abram Tarasov, the uncle to, I, I think on the last podcast I pronounced it Ayasef, maybe it's Yusef. Either way, the uncle to the the bad egg in the first in the first John Wick, you know, as he's explaining what's happened and who's coming for them. More importantly, who's coming for the car. All the while, we cut in between his speech of John taking down his men from the shadows or off camera, leading to one of my favourite lines of the film where he's like, I can assure you that the stories that you hear about this man, if nothing else, has been watered down. Fantastic. Like you say, it's literally exactly the same kind of framework and cut sequences that we saw in the first one when, you know, you've got obviously Vigo telling the story of, of who, who the Baba Yaga is and this and that, and you've got John breaking up the, the garage floor, the basement floor to get his get his guns and whatnot, you've got this great back and forth at the start of chapter two straight away, and it's so entertaining as well. And what I love is, is that when he delivers the line about all the stories, if you've heard anything, have been watered down, it's the camera then just like starts out out of focus 
as John enters the middle of the frame, we get the first clear image of him. It's absolutely wonderful. And as I've spoke about, obviously, the, there's humour in this moment as well, but Chad Stahelski and Keanu Reeves agree that one of the secrets to John Wick violence is to start with something funny and end with something funny and fill in between as much brutality as they can muster. We have that fantastic moment with this when Tarsoff is talking about the pencil story, cutting in between him telling the story or even him listening to what's going off on the outside, like he sat there with his eyes wide open, knowing that any minute John Wick's going to walk through the door to him and it's like, will he make this out alive or not? But I think that I read as well that they initially had all the cars in the warehouse without car covers, but Keanu Reeves felt confident that Wick would know the silhouette of his own car. So I just, again, the attention to detail and the like, just the in-depth analysis and just for Keanu as well to be able to understand fully or like straight up what John Wick would do and how he would behave and stuff. It just shows you how much he molds himself into this role and it is absolutely just so, so good. But like I've stated, the action in two is certainly upped and it is straight hitting hard from the get-go. Like, just the way that John Wick uses the car that he's driving to his advantage, drifting and then taking down enemies using his bonnet or or the back end of the car. Like, it's just unbelievable. Uh, such a Such a phenomenal opening. It was so good, as I say it just felt like a nice little extension to chapter one, you know, it felt like it was just closing off that part of the story, but setting us up for, for what's to come. So chapter two, as as we've discussed, you know, it expands the wit world and the underworld for that matter. The scale is already greater than the previous as we globetrot from location to location, see so many cool establishments all tied in with the high table. And like, one of the things I think makes John Wick work as a series and such, as a series of films, sorry, is that it feels very comic book-like. Like, you can you can watch this film, and some of these scenes, you can imagine them on a page and different panels as they unfold. It's something, like I say, that the films do super, super well. The second one does as well in particular, but they all do it, and that's why I think a lot of people are big fans of them. We're also introduced, as we spoke about earlier, to Lawrence Fishburne's uh, underground lord character, the Bowery King, someone who has encountered John before, but under slightly different circumstances. They've got a bit of history there. I just love the introduction and greeting that he gives to John. It's like, as I live and breathe, John Wick, the man, the myth, the legend. Pretty much how everyone feels towards him. Every time you see anything to do with John Wick, you're like, yep, here he is. I think that the film does such a great job of exploring all aspects of this world, seeing the overground and then the actual underground through Fishburne's Bowery King. And Fishburne is such a great addition to the cast. Like he just injects something a little bit extra that, that wasn't there in the previous wick, but he's almost got like a disconnect to the real world. Like even the way he speaks, it's, it's quite erratic and big with a sprinkle of sass, uh, but maybe reflecting the fact that he has spent a lot of time in the underground. And I just think that, like I say, those two together, they do have great chemistry. Obviously, we know they've got great chemistry. Let's be honest. That's like saying, like, water's wet, isn't it? Let's be honest. But it's just it's just great having those two together, reunited once again. And I always, like I said, it was one of the things I was looking forward to in Wick 3, seeing those two together again. And again, same for Wick 4, just having Morpheus and Neo together in the different, like, universe or whatnot. It's just grand, you know what I mean? But I, I really like in the film, as I've already said, exploring the continental, the little details that the film gives us, such as like the coins and such, and, and what they mean or whatever, and how they're presented to Ian McShane for the continental, you know, or, or for example, like Wick getting his weapons or where he gets his suit fitted from. I, in particular, love these moments with Peter Serafinovich as Wick details what kind of weapons he's looking for. Like, just the way they're talking to each other, like really classy as well, like anything for the end of the night. But the main piece of information that we receive regarding the world are the details on the high table and the two 
unbreakable rules of the underworld, no killing on continental grounds, and honouring every marker. And that brings me very nicely to the new villain of the piece, Santino D'Antonio, played by Ricardo Scamasio, who essentially helped John out of the underworld with this impossible task that we keep hearing murmurs about, keep hearing it being mentioned, obviously, this impossible task that, that helps him leave the underworld and have a new life. Now, in return for that, John swore to a marker, which is an unbreakable vow symbolised by a blood oath medallion. Santino obviously presents this marker to demand services from John, who declines, being that the services that he wants John for is to murder his own sister, who has a seat at the high table. Straight away, you can see that Wick has wants no part to do with this. Now, this is where we get to see the flip side of his character, because I really do like Santino as a villain. Like, he's just got this arrogance and this face that I just cannot stand. <laughs> but really, really excellent performance, nonetheless, that... They, when they meet, when they first, when he first obviously arrives at John's house, he's ultimately a friend of John's. You know, he's helped him get out. He was one of the reasons why this impossible task was completed. However, we know that in this world, friends can become foes very quickly. And him destroying Wick's house, it's almost like you've refused me. So I'm taking back what's mine. You know, like if it wasn't for Santino. You, Wick wouldn't have this life that he has. So, as as mentioned, there the services for that, that that Santino wants Wick for is for him to kill his sister, who's got a seat at the high table. The fact, as well, that he claims he couldn't do it himself already shows just what kind of coward the character really is. Like he's always standing behind a bunch of other people. And it's the same thing within this within this world as well. When someone's got that little bit of power, they always want more. They just want to scratch and get a little bit more. You know, he'd rather hire the Baba Yaga, then resolve this matter himself. And almost, it does pretty much put Wick on a suicide mission because once he kills her, all her men are then going to be after him. In addition, Santino then obviously wants to tie up loose ends and have Wick killed for, for, for obviously what he's done, which is extremely silly. And as Winston states, you stabbed the devil in the back, you know, just so you could close loose ends. Again, that arrogance from Santino thinking that he could just get John to do his dirty work and then try to kill him for having that bounty placed on his head. You know, working for Santino is a position that John never wanted to be in. He had no desire to re-enter this life. Circumstances sadly have led him here. And if you think about the actual circumstances, it's not about his wife passing away that's done it. It's the fact that someone killed his dog and stole his car. You know, these circumstances have led him here. You know, he was warned in the last one that even if he dips a toe back into his back into this life it will take over and worse that effect anyways and this is exactly that there is no way that wick would be able to return to his normal life following the events of the first one and it's only when wick retrieves his possessions where he probably realizes how far it is past that he currently is you know like he lets out that almighty yell and scream of frustration again props to keanu in this moment in the film in general you know like, like we stated it's not just gunfire gunfire there's layers and depths of the character there's going through so much as a state of the films follow on very quickly and very shortly after the previous chapter so i really did really feel that moment of like i say still still grieving essentially he's obviously grieving for several different things you know at the moment it's just back into the fray you know what i mean and 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 the way that wick will deliver some of his lines and keanu i should say delivers his lines is such a force of threat that it is so brilliant like that moment when he sat with Santino and they're obviously getting up, discussing the arrangement, this and that, and Santino's going on about how would how would you do it? How would you kill me? Would you use that guy's glasses over there? And again, if anything, I think that just that, that just complements Wick and and his talent at skill, talent and skill of taking people down. If he can kill someone with a pair of glasses, Jesus Christ, you know what I mean? But like the way that he turns around 
back to Santino, which just says with my hands kind of thing. Um, it, it just it, there's just a threat so much. Again, he says very little in this film, and every line almost like is an important one. But there is also that really soft moments and calmness, um, you know, that John delivers before and after he is assigned a task. You know, and it's evident throughout the start of this mission that he's got no desire to kill Santino's sister Gianna. And I love that final moment between the two of them, where there's like this. It's almost as if every word that Wick says to her is like a knife in the stomach, because she's understanding that it's her brother Santino that set the hit on her it's a very personal moment between the two of these characters and one that neither wish to be a part of but it is performed super super well by both actors and just in addition to that i love this shot where gianna goes to the sink and washes herself and looks in the mirror at first there's no one behind her and she goes down and she looks up and obviously we track and there's john wick just stood behind her like the ghost that he is so obviously this is what sets the chain of events in emotion. We've had some fantastic moments in the catacombs and such of Wick hiding guns and such and just being in Rome as well. Like we're already expanding. We're getting to see different sides and stuff. We've got the, the Continental in Rome, which again, really, really excellent. But we need to talk about some of the action because once again, it's bloody glorious. And as I stated, killing Gianna it just kicks off a whole chain of events, you know. Keanu Reeves performed about 95% of this film's stunts himself, as he would, because he's a badass. The only stunts that he didn't do are the ones in which John Wick gets hit by the car and one in which he falls down the stairs during the fight with Cassian. I will come to that, because that is, again, a fantastic sequence altogether. But to prepare for the sequel, Keanu Reeves trained for three months. His training consisted of judo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, marksmanship and driving, Reeves had retained almost all the training from the original movie, requiring very little time to get back up to speed, because he's just so good. <laughs> the instructors commented that by the end of his training, Reeves could easily be the one training them, and his proficiency ratings were better than most seasoned professional soldiers. So basically, Keanu Reeves is John Wick. You know what I mean? Like, he is an actual John Wick. But as, as, as we go on with this action, it is a suicide mission that John is on for, for Santino. Either way, once he makes the kill... It's all out gunfire, and the sequences in Rome are absolute excellent. There has to be no loose ends now, and, and this is it. You've got Gianna's people after him, Santino's people after him. The absolute fantastic chore choreograph, cinematography, and colour in all of these sequences, whether it's bright lights and such, or whether it's just literally very limited dim lights when they go through the catacombs. I mentioned Cassian, Cassian a moment ago, but I absolutely dig this feud with Cassian. Obviously, Cassian being kind of a bodyguard for, for Gianna, so as soon as she's gone, it's all that again. That's a personal attack on Cassian. It's essentially kind of like John Wick having his dog and car, dog killed and car stole to Cassian. Wick's got to go, you know what I mean? It's just wonderful set piece after set piece, and the sequences these two bring are just incredible. Like, we get that shootout in, in, in the crowd at the show, um, which, again, really, really great with the dubstep or whatever, dance music blaring off, and they're just kind of firing at each other and falling on the floor, this and that. The excellent sequence where on the tube station, firing bullets at one another discreetly. I saw someone describe it as kind of like when you're in the playground and like playing shootouts or whatever with, with your friends using your fingers, like using pistols, for, using fingers for guns and stuff like that. It really is cool. And this is, again, what I was saying about earlier about how it feels very comic book-like. Like, in addition to that sequence, obviously, I'm a big, big fan of that moment when they're on the same tube as each other and they're slowly making their way to one another and, and more people, more and more people are getting off. Like, the music is, like, bubbling and how they're just staring at each one another just ups the suspense massively until they begin their fight, which, again... That builds and builds because Wick first stops Cassian from stabbing him with the knife and they're just kind of stood in like that struggle, like almost like just, just can't get out of that moment before it does 
intensify even more. They break break loose, and then it just all kicks off again. The excellent fight and fisticuffs that they have on the steps, as I just stated a minute ago, that that whole thing was absolutely brilliant, and it leads their way to the Continental in Rome, where we know no bloodshed on uh, continental ground. So they respect that. They get up, they dust themselves down, have a drink, and they make their merry way. Like I said, that, that, I think the, the the fight on the steps is before the actual, um, before the whole sequence on the tube, because obviously Keanu, uh, Keanu, John Wick, sorry, stabs him in the chest with the knife and says, you know, pull that out when you die. Consider that a professional courtesy or whatever he says. Again, I just love the gritty and feel and rawness of like the, the way that they were full on, you know, they grapple each other and they're choking, almost like playing dirty fight with one another. You know what I mean? Like fingers everywhere, not allowing one another one to grab a knife or a gun for their advantage. It is so excellent. As I say, really, really excellent. It's just top notch performance from the, from the both of them. There are, there are quite a few sequences and there's a, a, that I love and there's, there's, there's a couple in particular, particular that I really love in this film and I'll come to the Hall of Mirrors shortly but to finally see Wick take people down with a pencil ah oh, it was so outstanding it was so pleasing as well wasn't it, it was, it's, it's grim don't get me wrong you do sit there wince when it happens but it's just great isn't it again choreographed to an absolute T I think we all wanted to see that when it was mentioned in the first week about this pencil situation but it was super satisfying to see them do it you know what I mean but the best set piece is when Wick goes after Santino at like, I think it's the ceremony for his sister. It is just relentless action as Wick fires his way through men after men displaying some fantastic kills and tactics, you know, particularly love when he like hides behind ornaments or whatever and fires at people's legs first. So they come down and then he takes them out and it all escalates this gorgeous sequence within the hall of mirrors. Now the mirror room sequence, which is a nice reference and nod to enter the dragon was the film's most expensive set. And you can, you can certainly see why <laughs> you can tell that that must've cost an absolute fortune, but it is so wonderful. Like it's my favorite sequence in the entire film. You know, there's, there's like all this action, but there's these pockets and moments to breathe in these, this, whole sequence with the mirrors because you know it's kind of like cat and mouse and such and you get the action and the score to accompany those moments but then we cut to like more men arriving or Santino talking at John and like the score will cut out or slow down almost like a kind of space spacey synth vibe and it really accompanies the whole sequence as well as you have this gorgeous surrounding of neon color and lighting obviously with the mirrors added to it as well it just makes a sequence easily the best for me and after john fatally stabs aries she sits down and signs be seeing you john and this mirrors the climax of john wick one obviously where after he stabs vigo he sits and says the same phrase love that detail absolutely but i stated in the last podcast i love there's no messing with with john when he walks up to whoever's going to kill him he just pops him like he does with isf or yousef or whatever in the first one now when he does that with santino it is such a similar fashion as he did in the first only this time sadly for john it's within continental ground you know santino again displaying that smugness and arrogance thinking he can't be touched while tucking into his dinner banging on about duck fat this or that you know just winding john up him repeating as well as Winston calls him Jonathan, him repeating his full name, really got under my skin. So I can appreciate in that moment for the character, it, it will absolutely wind him up knowing, which essentially leads him to shooting him at point blank range. And I, I got to say, like uh, Ian McShane in this, Winston, just just fantastic. The, the, the reaction to this moment, obviously all the way through when he's there, like Jonathan, just walk away. Tell, and then following, following that kill, him calmly saying, what have you done? It's as if John was now accepting his fate and that he tried to get out once, but this time there's no escape. He has accepted this is who he is now. 
again, you know? And then early in the movie, Winston says that he proposed that John be excommunicado instead of killed if he refused to honour the marker. This is obviously right at the start when the kind of situation's kicking off with Santino. You know, John obviously saying, doesn't want any part of it. But the high table refused that. And at the end of the movie, John is excommunicado for killing Santino on continental grounds instead of outright being killed like Miss Perkin was in the first one. Winston's able to do all of this because he has the power to do so. And I just, Ian McShane, like that's the thing in the first one, he's, he's just there in the corner. Isn't he? he just pops up for a couple of scenes, couple of moments in the continental and that's it. But I really love that we got to see more and more of him, you know, within this and just kind of his role within the continental, the underground, his ties with the high table. But the ending to this film, honestly, I was so excited to see what, what the next one could bring. Because we've seen throughout the film that killers and assassins could be absolutely anyone. You know, homeless people, just regular plumbers or whatever, people who are working on shifts and subway, whatever, like anyone. And so when that hit has been placed on John and it's building up to that great ending, obviously, of just John kind of running his way out into the city... We get that classic wick theme as he's, he's, he slowly starts walking. Then he starts obviously full on pelting it, avoiding everyone and being suspicious of absolutely everyone. It's great as well for the audience because we also don't know who is an assassin. Yeah, we get the odd ones where they might we might have seen them earlier in the film, like say, like the homeless gentleman who works for obviously Lawrence Fishburne. You know, we know he's part of the uh, part of like this whole high table and underground and such. And but no one else, we don't know. So it's like anyone could be an assassin or they could be just an everyday civilian. There's just this kind of shrouded mystery of actually who is going to be coming after him. It was honestly a fantastic idea and concept to finish with and set up the third one so nicely of having it like Wick versus everyone. You know, absolutely everyone. Like, I really did enjoy John Wick 2. It was great to rewatch it because it's one of the ones that, weirdly, I don't watch as frequent. I watched the first one quite a lot, but, like, I, I think Chapter 2 might have been, as much as I absolutely love the mirror sequence, I do feel like it's the one that I've watched the least. But all the same, it was so much fun to rewatch it. And I gave the first one, I gave the first one a 9. 8.5, This, again, for me, solid 8.5 8. out of 10. Like, I, I, I just absolutely think as sequels go, this really does live up to it. And, like I said, not only just seeing more action, more gunfire, but expanding the world, the underground, obviously the, the continental and such, just seeing more and more pockets and just globe trotting from here to there. Like it was just wonderful. And that, that again shines even more so in the third one, which I'm looking forward to talking about and going over. But John Wick chapter two, such a fantastic, fantastic sequel. And again, I'd love to know your thoughts as well on Mr. Wick's chapter two outing. But thank you as always for listening to the podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed this revisit. Again, I appreciate I fly from here to there to everywhere going through the revisits. I kind of want to pocket everything together when I'm talking about it rather than just regurgitating and going over the film just, you know, in the narrative, you know what I mean? But again, I'd love to know your thoughts all the same. Thank you so much as always for listening, for supporting. John Wick Chapter 3 is next on the review front, the revisit front, sorry. So keep your eyes and peeled, keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. As always, thank you so much for listening. Take care.